Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad that you're tuning in for another week of the Balanced Black Girl podcast with me. I just, I love putting out these episodes and hearing your reactions to them has been incredible. And the support for the show has been incredible and just makes me so excited to continue. When I decided to put out the Balanced Black Girl podcast, I was really excited about it because I felt like it was something that was very needed. Uh, But also, truth be told, I was pretty nervous as well because for the last several years, I've been putting out wellness content that has been pretty generic, that has attracted kind of a wide audience and a lot of different kinds of people. And I do have a lot of followers who are not women of color, and I thought... Ooh, I know I really want to serve women of color and be more upfront about that, but am I going to alienate my current audience? I I don't know what's going to happen, but I just put it out there and trusted that it would all work itself out. And to be honest, I have been so excited and relieved at the response of the show from all different types of people either women of color saying, thank you, I've had so many similar experiences, thank you for sharing your story because your story is like mine, to people who are not women of color saying, wow, I had no idea these things happened and I appreciate you putting this out there so that I can continue to learn and evolve and watch how I interact with people inside and outside of the wellness space. And the fact that that has been the reaction by and large has been (laughs) really, really incredible things. So I really thank everyone from all different perspectives who has tuned in. And along those same lines, uh, this is kind of the perfect segue into today's show. My guest, Allison Tenney, is the founder of the Ignited Women Summit, an event that's taking place in Seattle in February of 2019. And I was really excited to have Allison on the show because she just has a really, really unique perspective. Um, Allison is a fitness coach and has a background in athletics, which you will learn more about in the episode. And she is also a white woman. So she is not a woman of color like many of our other guests have been. However, she has had a lot of really interesting and unique experiences in her own life um, that have really changed how she approaches diversity and inclusion in the content that she puts out. And I thought that she would be a really, really great person to have this conversation with. And she and I had a phenomenal conversation. We really learned about her journey of self-awareness and understanding diversity and understanding just the different aspects of things outside of the world that she was accustomed to, and I am super grateful to have had her on the show today. Before we jump into my interview with Allison, I wanted to share the review of the week. This week's review says, so grateful for this voice speaking up for a group otherwise silenced by all the other noise out there. This is a podcast for everybody. How many times do we as women of color listen to people talk about male bodies, white bodies, bodies that we will never have or never want? It's about time someone is speaking to us and with us, but this podcast isn't just for us. Less is honest and bold, but relatable and constructive. Love these first few episodes and I find myself clapping my hands together as I listen on my afternoon walks. Can't wait for more. Thank you so much for this incredible review. 
I just the fact that this is the response the show has had is just makes it all worth it. And I really, really appreciate the feedback. If you have not yet left a review for the Balanced Black Girl podcast, please do so over on iTunes. It really, really helps the show. And I really appreciate it. And maybe you will get your shout out on the next review of the week. We'll see. You got to leave a review to do it. Without further ado, let's jump into today's show. Today, I'm joined by Allison Tenney. Allison is the owner of Allison Tenney Fitness, an online training business built on the belief that movement and heavy lifting are empowering and fun. Allison is also the founder of the Ignited Women's Summit, an annual wellness and leadership event that creates a space for learning through an inclusive lens. Allison, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Les. Yeah. So fun fact, I don't know if you know this, but you were actually the first person I told about the podcast and the rebrand. And Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. When you messaged me and were like, what changes are you making? Uh, I hadn't told anybody yet. <laughs> you were the first person I told. So it's kind oh of- Oh my God. I am so honored and just so excited about the change and everything that it's bringing for you. I just, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. So it makes me even more excited that you're here on the show today. Awesome. So first and foremost, I love hearing my guests' fitness stories. What brought mm-hmm. you to the fitness space from a personal perspective? And then yeah. also where in your fitness journey um, did you decide that you wanted to start coaching others as well? Oh, so fitness has kind of always been in my blood. My origin story is really in sports and athletics. Um, so I've always played soccer. I grew up playing soccer, grew up playing competitively, played division one out on the East coast. And then when I graduated, I was like, what do I do with my life? Kind of had no idea. Almost went to law school because I was an English major and was like, what do I do with this English major? I should go to law school. Well, Thank God I put that off for a year, deferred, and um, kept coaching soccer because it was my love, it was my passion, and kind of never looked back from there. So from coaching soccer, um, bounced around to a few different universities, um, and then was at Seattle University for about nine years, and really started dabbling in strength and conditioning. So I had this really cool kind of hybrid role of doing all of the strength programming and coaching on the field. So it was like this wonderful blend of being able to coach the soccer players and then also help them with their fitness off the field um, and their strength programs in the weight room. And then that kind of turned into having all these alumni (laughs) that were like, hey, you coached us for four years and did all of our workouts and programming. Like, um, what do we do now that we're graduated? Mm -hmm. So I started um, my business as almost this side hustle to help out some some ex-athletes. And then that kind of grew and snowballed. And um, gosh, here I am with the business and I'm actually no longer coaching soccer. So it's kind of flipped. Now it's the full hustle. Yes, now it is the full time hustle. <laughs> I love that. I love that. 
So recently, you shared a post on Instagram uh, mm. sharing a photo of you that was published in a fitness magazine. But what mm. I love even more than the photo was mm. the caption. So mm. you talked about imagery in the fitness industry mm-hmm. and how you simultaneously felt really proud of your strength that was captured in the photo yeah. while also recognizing that more images of slender, white, cisgendered women isn't necessarily mm. what we need more of because we yes. see a lot of that. Yes. And I loved that you touched on both, that you were being honest about diversity and wellness, but it wasn't mm-hmm. a personal attack on yourself. Like, yeah, you worked mm-hmm. hard and it was a great photo, uh, but again, still speaking that truth. Yeah. I would love to hear more of the backstory behind that, because I think mm-hmm. for a lot of people who struggle kind of admitting that there is a diversity problem mm-hmm. beyond wellness, it's because they aren't able to not take it personally or take mm-hmm. it as, you know, that their presence is unwelcomed. And I mm-hmm. think you do a really good job of managing that. Yeah, that's been a long journey for me, though, I will say. Um, and I can <laughs> talk about that in a minute. Yeah. I think it's a super important for people to understand that, like, it's not one or the other. It's not like I don't belong in this space. And so everything I value or everything I'm worth, like, it doesn't belong there. It's making sure that, like, you own you own those pieces of you and you own those, those parts of what makes you truly special and acknowledging that how other people show up is also really special. And the fitness industry does not do a good job of representing all of the pieces that are important for everybody. And there, there's a huge diversity problem. I think it's important to note that like I, for people that are listening, I'm thin, white, female presenting cisgender like I'm like your standard typical white girl when I show up to the fitness <laughs> space and that's not it's not like oh I'm like it doesn't make me a bad person but it does you have to be aware of how you show up and the privilege that you show up with so that I know I can own those pieces of me and I've done that work to know what that privilege is. Mm -hmm. So then I can honor other women and how they show up as well. And I think that was really what the post was about is like, I, I, I do work really hard at my fitness. I work really hard at lifting. Those are things that make me feel strong. They make me feel empowered. Um, and representation in the fitness industry sucks. We need to see more women of color. We need to see, um, more, of everybody else other than white women. <laughs> so I, I think this idea of, um, of duality, of it's not just one or the other, that you can really be both and that's okay um, is important. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love how honest you were with saying that you didn't always have that point of view and that you had to you know, do the work to get there. Can you tell us a little bit more of what that looked like, what that process looked like, and what doing the work looked like for you? Yeah. Um, whew, deep breath. So <laughs> I, I, think, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, is that there's this story around shame and not wanting to talk about these things um, because they, are, they can be really hard topics. And for me when I kind of dive into my story about doing this work, um, I have to really 
own the piece that like I'm I am really new to this conversation. It's this is not a new conversation. I am just new to it. Yeah. And so really honoring that piece and that I'm really learning a lot and I'm messing up a lot. Um, but I'm in it and I'm in the messy. And so I think like that is really important for women who are just starting out on this journey. Uh, I mean, it's just be honest, like particularly white women who are kind of waking up to these realizations like, oh, there isn't representation in the fitness industry. Like, yeah, because we have to do this work. Like this is our work to do. So for me, it kind of started out of the event that I started, um, which it will be in its third year in February, but year one, um, you know, <laughs> I had this idea basically on the heels of um, the 2016 election and this whole shift for women and really um, the space of um, God, just wanting to be empowered and wanting to really own our voices. And there was just this massive shift right after the election. And I had gone to a bunch of different fitness events and was like, yes, women and community and empowerment. And like, let's do it. Meanwhile, like I had not done any of this work to understand my biases, to understand my blind spots. And I put together this, this awesome event. Like it, I got really great feedback. It was really great. And it was really problematic um, because I hadn't done the work to really see uh, the harm mm. that I had done. And it really kind of came to a head because, I mean, you can Google it. I got a um, review after the event. Yeah. I had been, I had rewind. I had been interviewed by the school newspaper, which I was like, sweet, the school newspaper's reaching out to me now. This is going to be so big time. This is going to be awesome. These two reporters had asked some kind of leading questions, um, like asking about the speaker lineup and they were all white women. And, you know, looking back now in that interview, I really should have realized my blind spots because it was literally pointed out to me pre-event. <laughs> Um, and instead I really chose to dig in and like defend my speakers and their experiences and, you know, they all have different stories. Yes. And they were all white women. And so any, it was like this whole experience for me of like anybody that was questioning me around the event or around inclusion, just, I felt personally attacked, which is kind of a normal response for white, white, I'll just speak for myself yeah. as a white woman that we're so insulated from these things that we don't know how to deal with them when it comes up. Yeah. And so it came up for me in a big way because a month after the event, I was like, Hmm, I had that interview with the school newspaper. Let me go Google it. Like I'm kind of curious. Oh, the, uh, <laughs> the title of the article was ignited women struggles to reach all women. And mm. it was one of those like, Oh crap. Yeah. Like, like when you talk about like your shame spiral or like that moment where like everything kind of collapses in on you. And I was so upset and so hurt that I had done all this work 
around this event to showcase strength and success and create community and all these things I wanted to have happen. And here's this article in my face that was like, you really missed the mark. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that can be a tough pill <sighs> to swallow, especially when you, you do work really hard at something and your intentions are in the right place. How did you navigate that? It was really this waking up and to be real honest, I got pretty defensive Mm -hmm. because I had a lot of shame and a lot of hurt. And so of course I read it like eight times because you know, who doesn't like a good shame spiral? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But as I read it, while my intentions with this event was to empower women, um, the impact was that I left a lot of voices out and a lot of women out of that conversation. And so it, I basically, I reached out um, to some trusted friends um, and I had written a blog post in response to getting the feedback and was like, I'm taking their feedback and I'm going to do this good work. And even my blog post was like off. Like Mm -hmm. it was just, it ended up being like one step at a time like one step forward, like five steps back. Like Mm -hmm. I would try to like navigate this new realm and then I would mess it up and I would be right back kind of in this like messy place. Um, But I reached out and had a conversation with Erin Brown. Do you know Erin at all? Yeah, yes, she's wonderful. So Erin is wonderful and she had been the keynote speaker, one of the keynote speakers at the event. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation with Erin And it was really a calling out and a calling in. And she pointed me to some resources um, that she had done some writing around it. And I want to say it was um, one of her blog posts. It was called um, On On Whiteness, Mm. I think. And she gave me some stuff to read. And we had this wonderful conversation um, just talking about like why multiple lenses and this really intersection of all these different experiences and why diversity is so important. Um, and so that conversation was super impactful to me. And I think like an important piece to remember is like, these are women that I really trusted and that I did not get defensive. I was on this, like, Oh my God, I messed this up. Like how, how do I get better? How do I fix this in a way? But I had to fix my own internal struggles and my own, my own blind spots to like really struggle through it. And it was super messy and it was super painful. And one of, again, like another conversation that I had, and this one was like a game changer for me. Um, and it's almost like super embarrassing. I asked her permission to talk about it, but my best friend who, um, is a black woman, mm-hmm. like, we have been friends for over 15 years. She had come to the event, supported me. She was like my right hand gal at through like everything, um, especially like for the event and, you know, supported me. (laughs) And here, like we had never had race conversations. Mm -hmm. And like, here is a 15 year friendship without having honest conversations about race and I just like my lack of awareness 
is something that must have deeply affected our friendship. Like I never understood the structures and the systems that she had always come up against. Mm -hmm. and, And I never acknowledged them. And I think that's like a key piece is like so many people like are aware, but it's so taboo to like try to navigate them and you don't want to like hurt people's feelings, but you just have to acknowledge them. Like this is real. Let's acknowledge it so that we can get into the messy conversations and talk about it. Totally. And so like, I stayed in this safe place with her and attributed like her amazing unique qualities and all of these things about my best friend, which is true. But it's like, it, I think it's very like, it's like a white cultural norm to talk about like somebody as an individual mm-hmm. without recognizing like systems and structures that like could have held them back because mm-hmm. like, we're very much like just work hard and you can succeed. And I, Yes, to a certain extent, I think there's a lot more nuance that goes on in that conversation. Um, but I had never considered that for my best friend. And so when these things started popping up around like inclusivity, diversity, race, my privilege as a white woman, what does that look like and how does that play out for me in my life? And I had never acknowledged those things to her. Um, that was like a big face plant moment for me. Like, Oh my God, I ha- I have to clean this up with her. Um, Cause how, how can you truly honor somebody as a complete person and honor that friendship? If you're not talking about all of those things. So that was like a big moment for me, those conversations that happened um, to really bring me, bring me to where I am, um, in the conversation and to be able to kind of talk about this stuff like, yeah, this is my privilege. It doesn't mean I haven't struggled. doesn't mean that like I'm a bad person. It's just, these are my realities and I can talk about them. Absolutely. I, I mean, I know for me personally, I did, I attended both events mm. and it, it was very, obvious from year one to year two mm-hmm. what changes had been made and um, just that kind of more people were included in the conversation mm-hmm. at all levels and I'm excited for next year because it's going to be even better. Oh my god I know especially since you're going to be part of it now. <laughs> and yes. I was like, that's also like really important to me too though for the event like you were an attendee for year one and year two and now you're presenting in year three like i think that to me is huge like how cool is it that you get to be part of that evolution um i love that oh i love it too and i'm so excited and for everyone listening we'll be sure to also include in the show notes a link so that you can come to ignited women in february in seattle because you don't want to miss it. It's going to be incredible. Um, yes. But I am really excited to be a part of it next year. Me too. I can't yes. wait. Yes. So I would also like to talk about just kind of circling back to diversity in yeah. the wellness space. Um, I think many people are finally starting to catch on that it is a really big issue when so many Mm -hmm. people cannot see themselves in imagery and messaging of what healthy looks like or what Mm -hmm. fit looks like or Mm -hmm. even access to resources to help one be healthy. 
What are some ways that you think the mainstream fitness community or other maybe white, able-bodied, cisgendered people within the fitness community can help diversify the space for everyone else? Um, Speak up about it. I feel like just acknowledging it, number one, um, is a big step. And then pushing forward women who don't look like you, women who have different experiences than you, people that may not be as well known, but that you can highlight. Um, You have to, you, you have to seek people out that have different experiences because like it or not, we really love to insulate ourselves with people that have similar experiences that look like us, that put us in our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to actively engage with people that are outside of that quote comfort zone or that have different experiences than you. And it will help enrich your own viewpoints and your own worldview so much. So I think really acknowledging where you're at in that journey um, opens a lot of doors. Like, and people just want to be heard. They want to know that like, oh, okay, you, you see me, you understand where I'm at. Um, so that like acknowledgement piece to me is really big. And then seeking out other viewpoints um, and really like learning Like you don't, it's not like just like going on Instagram and following like that. Sure. That's a piece of it because we're so stuck on our phones. And I mean, I'm like, I'm living my best Graham life. (laughs) Like go read books and go take courses. Like uh, one of the best teachers that I've had is Dr. T Williams and he teaches the foundations um, of social justice and it's from a liberation viewpoint. And he's amazing. Like uh, that, like online, easy, not, well, I won't say easy. It's accessible. Yeah. Um, And so you get challenged in other ways by just seeking out learning opportunities. And I really think it's important that you have some type of structured learning because as white people, again, I'm gen, I'm generalizing, but like, (laughs) I'm going to have like people coming at me, which is cool. (laughs) We don't want to be challenged on a lot of these things. We just think this is how it is and like, it's not going to change. You have to be in a learning environment that's structured, that allows you to ask questions, that is open and safe for you to do the work and to do the learning. And so for me, having somebody like Dr. T and his foundations course has been pivotal to my learning um, and having that safe space. So I would, I would say, what was that? Three things, really acknowledging others, seeking out other viewpoints and then finding learning opportunities that are not Instagram and the dumpster fire of social media. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But those are three great resources and three great places to start. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I also really like that you touched on the point of, sometimes it it can be so scary to know that you're going to be challenged. Um, But being challenged doesn't have to be scary. It really doesn't. It can be uncomfortable, but not scary. It's super uncomfortable because these, for a lot 
I mean, I'm probably what my event is coming up on year three. So these are really new conversations for me in the past three years. And they're, they're conversations that we're not used to having. So when you talk about like white supremacy, white fragility and privilege and like, it's like red flags for people that go up. But if you can take away some of that fear by being in a safe learning environment, by reading some books, by people that have like, that have PhDs in this stuff, like the work has been done. You can Google it. It is there for you. Um, Then it's not, it's not as scary and it's more accessible. And then you're not going out and harming people that you love and care about or harming people that you're trying to help. Like we're in the service industry in fitness. You're trying to like change people's lives. And here you're like shutting out so many people. It's insane to me. (laughs) No, that's such a good point. That is such a good point of how can you help people that you can't relate to or that you don't try to relate to or understand where they're coming from. Totally. Absolutely. So what are some of those resources that have helped you be a better ally? Are there any particular books that you've read that have been really helpful? Um, I know Dr. T is such a great resource and I definitely will link him in the show notes so that people can follow his work as well. Yeah. So like I said, Erin Brown kind of catapulted me forever grateful to her. Um, And she has her, um, Oh gosh, what is, what is it called? It's called on whiteness, easy, like an easy read blog post. Um, so that, and then also another great article called unpacking the invisible knapsack. And Mm. I loved that one because it literally gives you like 50, just like statements. Like if you've never had to worry about your education, You've never had to worry about having a roof over your head. It and like goes through all these things of like, oh, yes, I've never had to worry about that. That's privilege. And it, so it gives you really like concrete stuff. Um, so I really like that. So those two articles, um, people I follow, I mean, Patrice Cullors, the founder of Black Lives Matters, Toronto Burke, the founder of Me Too, like black women that are like leading the way. Um, I, I'm reading a book right now by Robin D'Angelo, who's a mm-hmm. white woman, um, called white fragility, but she does so much racial and social justice education. Um, yeah, I heard her speak a few months ago uh, and it was really, she's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. And I think it just takes a whole lot of that, like, like defensiveness out of it when you are learning about it in a productive way. Um, and so for me, it's, it's been about reading these books. Um, Patrice Cullors has a, a book called When They Call You a Terrorist. That was pretty eye-opening. Um, I, I mean, it just, it, the list of books goes on and on and on. And Google, like, Google is your best friend. Like, just Google, like, shit white people say. Like, <laughs> don't, like don't say that. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, Dr. T., so I would say like those two articles on whiteness by Aaron Brown, unpacking the invisible knapsack, um, like books that are going to work for you. Like I just finished Malcolm, like the um, autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm, classic. Classic, right? Like yeah. how did it take me this long to read that book? And it just gives you so much history as to like 
wow, like, again, like, it's not new. This is not a new conversation. We're just new to it. So learn everything you can. Absolutely. And I think also another big part of that is listening to listen and not listening to respond when you do come across those types of resources or those conversations. Oh my God. That's like, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head because we, if you're listening through the filter of like, I'm a good, I'm a good person and I have friends that are, you know, women of color. And like, if you're constantly trying to defend your viewpoint and your stance, you're never going to, you're never going to walk through that door. And it's like with my best friend, Danielle, we would have had a wonderful friendship, but until I can acknowledge like my privilege as a white woman and we can like, we can really talk about those things. Like the richness and the depth of our friendship and our relationship was never going to get there. Yeah. And like, what are you willing to put down like that defensiveness? Like you've got to just let it go um, to get through those doors with these amazing relationships with people that can change your life. Absolutely. I love that you said that because really, if you really think about it, you have nothing to lose by Mm -hmm. just understanding and reaching that level of depth, but you have everything to gain by learning so much more about other people and their perspectives. Yes. Yeah. And I think that defensiveness comes from this like viewpoint of like, but if I admit these things, does that make me like a racist? Does that make me a bad person? It has nothing to do with that. To me, it's about acknowledging the systems that we operate in, mm-hmm. which give me privilege as a white person. It doesn't make me a bad person. Um, I, you know, but if you don't acknowledge those things um, and use your voice, like privilege is for using. Like you got to use it. Yes. Um, and if you're not you're not using it, like that's where I have some major issues. Like if you're going to bury your head in the sand and not use that privilege, like, sorry, like we're not going to be, we're not going to be BFFs. Let's just, (laughs) let's just say that. Um, So yeah. 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 I couldn't agree more. Another topic that I know you have talked about on social media and on your blog, I know you, you posted a blog post about this a few months back. Um, is language that we use in the fitness space, Mm. especially as fitness professionals or as people who create fitness content, harmful language that we use in the fitness space and Mm -hmm. how that in and of itself can be not helpful for inclusion. Um, I would love to, to talk a little bit about maybe your journey with that as well? Was that something you were always aware of or did you have kind of a similar experience where you had maybe an eye-opening moment with that? Um, I wouldn't say it was an eye-opening moment. It was more of like a progressive like, huh, I'm starting to really notice these things in fitness spaces and like this is starting to really bother me when people say certain things and it's not okay. Like if you can't, if you can't include, like if this is going to exclude people, if you're starting to say things, then it's not okay with me. And to me, my 
platform is really about, I was talking to a friend about this, almost being like a thought disruptor. Mm. Like everybody just goes on cruise control and thinks that like, you know, lose the 10 pounds and, you know, squat this much and like all these like norms in the fitness industry. And you can just put it on cruise control and show some cool stuff on your Instagram feed and everyone thinks you're great until it's not like, Mm -hmm. it's not okay for so many people to be on cruise control. And if I can insert myself in a way that's like, Oh, maybe that's not okay. Or, huh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, And if you can disrupt people enough to make it not okay for them to maybe say that again, then I feel like I've made an impact. Yeah, I love that. And I think that the fitness industry online and offline could use a whole lot of disruption. (laughs) And I'm happy that, that there are now more of us willing to to disrupt it because it's very necessary. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, And I think there's just more perspectives. Like fitness is not just one package Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not just one way of delivering it. It's not one outcome. There's so many ways to approach it and why not have all of those approaches available to you? Totally. I, uh, I was recently talking to a friend who is a health writer, and she is working on a piece about social media and how it mm. impacts our mental health, which is mm. I'm really excited to read it when she's yeah. done with it. And she shared with me a study that she found about kind of the correlation between social media usage and self-esteem. And, and one of the points in the study was they found that people who consume a lot of kind of stereotypical fitness content that's all mm. about abs and glute guides and fat Mm. loss, Mm. Um, not only do they suffer in terms of their mental health, but their Mm. motivation to actually get up and get moving and Mm. work on their fitness and do these things goes out the window, but they consume the content more than anyone else. Because they think that like by consuming it, it'll somehow motivate them. And it's the exact opposite. And I cannot stand I unfollow or I mute. I do a lot of muting in my feed and a lot of unfollowing and like cleansing of the the Instagram. (laughs) It's necessary. (laughs) It is. But I I think it's a big miss for um, a lot of personal brands that claim to, quote, empower. Like, empower who? Empower women that are genetically gifted that already are skinny and thin. And so it's easy to like throw a couple things up there and talk about empowerment. Um, I, I just, I can't get on board with that. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of things missing in that conversation. Um, and I can totally see how it would mess with your mental state seeing that over and over again and feeling like that's not me. I can't get there. Mm-hmm. And yet you just consume it over yeah. and over again. It's yeah. So unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. It's like you continue consuming it, but then you're like, why bother and don't take yeah. action with it? And it's such a cycle. Mm. It is. Yeah. But I, I also feel like kind of on the flip side that there is 
a lot of change happening. I think that a lot of people who aren't necessarily content creators, but who follow content are starting to speak out more and hold people accountable more. And I do think a shift is happening, which is also refreshing. And I think it's starting at least like in circles that of women that I follow or conversations that I'm having, it's starting to shift outside of like, how are you programming? Mm -hmm. Like what's, what's your, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, what's your squat progression and regression, <laughs> and how are you? Like, it's getting a little bit more outside of the X's and O's, and people are really understanding that um, there's mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, all these things that play into our health and well-being. Um, and so, if you're going to be a coach, you, you're going to be talking about all those things, not just not just programming and sending your clients a, you know. 12 week, you know, here you go. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Because I think for almost any trainer, you know, that if your client isn't getting results with something, it's not necessarily because the, the squat progression doesn't work. It's because they probably have something going on emotionally or mentally that is providing a block from them being able to actually execute it. And yeah. it's so important to touch on those things. Yeah. And if you're not talking about the stress in their life, like mm-hmm. you're, you're missing the boat because the training is only a small piece of it, like you said. Um, and to me, understanding that stress, like we all have stress, but how it shows up and how it manifests and what, where it comes from, like my stress is going to be way different than your stress. Like the filters that you use for your life is it's, so varied from individuals. And so you, you have to understand the filters that your clients are getting that stress from and how they're viewing things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of stress, it's kind of a good segue to my next question. Um, (laughs) A topic that I am both passionate about and yet kind of roll my eyes at is um, self-care. (laughs) <laughs> in in the sense that in a lot of ways, self-care has become a bit of a commodity. Um, mm-hmm. It has become kind of a trendy thing that companies are now using to sell things to people mm-hmm. um, where self-care is something external to us. It's getting mm-hmm. your hair done. It's doing a face mask. It's getting your nails done. I mean, really, those things are basic hygiene in my opinion. Um, (laughs) I hope you're washing your face. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And I think true self-care is really that inner work and it's doing things like you said earlier, how you're constantly kind of muting and curating who you follow, making sure that you're following people who are uplifting and making sure that you're attending to your, you know, mind, body, and soul, especially in this political climate we're living in where there's just so many things happening that are traumatic and stressful for us all that you're still taking your care, taking care of yourself amidst all of those things happening. Yeah. So all that being said, <laughs> what does self-care look like for you and, and how do you manage your stress? Oh man, I'm probably like the worst example. Um, <laughs> I, I'm learning how yeah. to take my foot off of the gas pedal. For me, mm. self-care is really being gentle with my process yeah. uh, because my story is... I'm never doing enough. Mm. Like not, 
I'm not enough. It's always, I'm never doing enough. Yeah. And especially like I'm surrounded by some pretty freaking unbelievable kick-ass women, which is by design. Mm -hmm. And it also can send me into this like, oh, look what they're doing. My friends are so awesome. Like I love it. Um, But that can also be part of my trigger. And so my self-care is is honestly when I start feeling that way or when I feel overwhelmed um, is to reach out to them uh, and then usually have a conversation around like what's going on with me? Am I stressed? What is that? What does that feel like? How does that show up? Um, and gosh, like you said, curating what you're consuming. Yes. Um, I've been trying to read a lot more. I tend to scroll through Instagram, um, which is a bad habit, <laughs> but I've been trying to put limits on the gram life and <laughs> pick up a book. Like I've set some pretty lofty goals for myself and books I want to finish. Um, and so I'm trying to read more, um, schedule, like schedule doctor's appointments, Yeah, like, like self care that kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Like going to therapy, I'm going to the dermatologist. I just had two fillings, like things that are like <laughs> necessary that you don't want to do. Um, it's self care. It is it, like, it, I don't know, like the bubble bath stuff, like that's cool, but I can't tell you the last time I actually had a bath. And so <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that's what my self care looks like putting limits around my consumption, um, yeah. reaching out to friends when I start hitting some kind of spiral of I'm not doing enough. And, um, taking time to process. I don't think, I don't think we give ourselves enough time to just sit like, like I've been going for a five minute walk after I drop my kids off for school. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend was like, oh, you're habit stacking. Good for you. I'm like, of course, like one of my coach friends would put a coaching term to it. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're right. Like I walk my kids to school and on my way back, I would come home and I would jump on my computer and open up my emails and scroll on Instagram and like get consumed. And now I take a five minute detour and it's my abundance walk. Mm-hmm. And I walk and I think about all the things I'm, well, I usually have some type of focus, but it's like, abundance in my home, in my health, in my business, in my bank account. And I think about how I'm bringing abundance to all of those things or how I'm grateful for X, Y, and Z. And it's like five minutes, but I have to walk. Like I couldn't journal, like the whole self-care thing of like journaling and take the first 30 minutes right when you wake up. Like, again, like to me, self-care is figuring out what works for you and your life. Totally. I kept trying to shove self-care, like everybody else's version of self-care into my life and it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And so I would get more frustrated. Like, how come I can't do these things? Like I'm (laughs) not, I am a very physical person. Um, I have to be moving. I get a lot of joy from just moving my body from being outside. And so for me, a five minute, like called abundance walk was perfect. Like that's part of my self-care. And I don't have to put pressure on myself to journal. 
That's so good. I love the abundance walk. Yeah. That's so, so good. And I think that you hit the nail right on the head that self-care has to be totally individual because if we're doing self-care that doesn't work for us, one, that's completely ineffective. Um, and, And two, I mean, it just, it has to be what we need as individuals. So I love that you're finding what works for you. Yeah. But taking that time, like it, God, I don't know. It took me like a year like Allison, go for a five minute walk. Like I was like, I don't have time in the middle of my day to get up and go for a walk. I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. And so for me, like that whole habit stacking, like I'm on my way home anyway, what's five mm-hmm. minutes out of the way. So it's, it's finding those little, like whatever you want to call them hacks um, mm-hmm. to figure out what does work for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Allison. I really loved this conversation. And this was so much fun. It was. I really appreciate you being so open and honest. And I just really think this conversation is going to be so helpful for a lot of people. I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah. So where can our listeners find you to keep in touch with you? Um, I'm living my best life on the gram. <laughs> I'm, I'm at Allison Tenney, um, all lowercase. Um, and then my website is allisontennyfitness.com. Awesome. And like I said, we will most definitely be linking information for the Ignited Women Summit in yes. the show notes, because if you haven't already gotten your ticket yet, you're going to want to. It's going to be an incredible event. Yes. Please, please come show up. We want you there. Yes. It's going to be amazing. All right. Thank you so much for coming on, Allison. Thank you for having me, Les.